0: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. This is the indictment we've all been waiting for, folks. After two and a half years, the wheels of justice have finally made their way to Donald Trump. And there is no escaping the accountability that is coming his way. Trump now faces legal peril in three criminal cases following March's indictment on 34 counts of falsifying business records and June's indictment on 37 counts of mishandling classified documents, plus the new three charges added in the recent superseding indictment. And Fulton County Georgia District Attorney Fannie T. Willis is said to be just days away from filing her own indictment against Trump on charges. But this latest indictment stands apart from Trump's other legal challenges as it goes to the very heart of our nation's electoral system. Now, for those who haven't had time to read the entire 45-page indictment, don't worry, because I managed to get through the whole thing and it's a masterwork of prosecutorial brilliance. Prosecutors said in the indictment that Trump was determined to remain in power after losing the 2020 election and that he and six unindicted co-conspirators orchestrated a plot to overturn the results on and leading up to January 6th of 2021. The four counts against the former president include obstruction of an official proceeding, namely Congress's January 6, 2021 certification of Joe Biden's election, and three conspiracies to defraud the United States, to obstruct an official proceeding, and deny voting rights. Now the last one is a charge that has already successfully been brought against rioters who breach the Capitol. In another charge brought against the former president, prosecutors are relying on a Reconstruction-era civil rights law that prohibits conspiracies to deprive a person of their rights, and in this case, the right to vote and have one's vote counted. While much of Trump's scheming was already the focus of an intense congressional investigation and impeachment trial, The new charges show the incredible amount of evidence the prosecutors have amassed in their sweeping case. Much of what is new was out of reach for the January 6th committee, either from legal fights over executive privilege or for lack of time. This time, Smith and his team made sure to get the receipts. Prosecutors detailed the prolific lies that Trump made in the wake of the 2020 election, including knowingly pushing false claims of voter fraud and voting machine switching votes, the indictment says, despite state and federal officials telling him that the claims were just fucking wrong. And Trump spread lies that there had been outcome-determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won, the indictment further states, adding that the claims were false and the defendant knew they were false. But the defendant disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate, to create an intense atmosphere of mistrust and anger and erode public faith in the administration of the election. Now Trump is the only person who is charged and he's the only defendant in the latest indictment but the court documents scatters some clues for future in terms of who else might potentially face charges. The indictment lists six co-conspirators, five of whom have been outed by multiple media outlets as Rudy Cludi, Drunken Giuliani, John Eastman, Sidney released the Kraken Powell, Jeffrey Clark, and Kenneth Cheesebro, while the sixth one still remains a mystery. Now, recent Mayor guest and former U.S. Solicitor General Neil Katyal told MSNBC's Morning Joe that prosecutors were holding potential charges over their heads in exchange for testimony against the former president. I think Jack Smith was doing this, charging only Trump for getting this trial on the road, Katyal said. He's looking at a clock in the November 2024 election and the possibility that Trump or some other Republican might win and stop a trial that's not complete. And so what he has done here is said that this is an indictment of one person, Donald Trump. Not saying there won't be other indictments. Reading the indictment, it seems like other people, like Jeffrey Clark, will face indictments. But the real reason is that some of these folks, or perhaps all of them, will flip hard against their former boss. Not that they don't already have reams of evidence, but this just makes the case that much more foolproof. One name conspicuously absent from the indictment was former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. And that's because he'll almost certainly be playing a starring role in the upcoming trial. As the White House Chief of Staff, Meadows was Trump's eyes and ears and attempted to enact his boss's every whim as it related to Trump's scheming to stay in office. Meadows was in meetings with members of Congress on emails and calls with the Trump campaign and involved in talks with Trump's batshit crazy strike force as well as every outside advisor who offered an opinion on how Donald could stay in power. Meadows even joined Trump's infamous call with Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, where Trump pressured him to find votes. And in super bad news for Trump, Meadows was a prolific texter, frequently contacting many of those same figures and discussing their wide-ranging efforts. What he will have to offer in a trial, outside of everything already gathered in discovery, will be enough to put Trump away for a very long time. The random luck that assigned Trump his favorite judge in the documents case has this time turned against him, with Judge Tanya Chukin randomly chosen to preside over the trial. An Obama appointee, Chukin had already ruled against Trump and is seen as a no-nonsense jurist who won't stand for any of Trump's bullshit. Now, according to Politico, Chukin ruled in the fall of 2021 that the House January 6th Select Committee could access reams of Trump's White House files, a ruling that was subsequently upheld by an appeals court and left undisturbed by the Supreme Court. That evidence call logs, memos, internal strategy papers, and more from the deaths of Trump's most trusted advisors became the backbone of the committee's evidence and shaped much of the public's understanding of his effort to seize a second term, a second term that he didn't win. Chukin has also handed down some of the harshest January 6th sentences to date. The moral of the story being that Trump is toast. Even before the indictment was unsealed, Trump and his allies were actively working to control the narrative, calling this a sham indictment and accusing the Biden administration of trying to interfere with the upcoming 2024 election. The Trump campaign said he had always followed the law and characterized the indictment as a persecution reminiscent of Nazi Germany. President Trump will not be deterred by disgraceful and unprecedented political targeting. And on Truth Social, Trump said a fake indictment was evidence of prosecutorial misconduct. His campaign issued a formal statement and later a fundraising pitch calling it election interference and his Republican allies in Congress, plus even some of his GOP primary foes, cast the indictment as political persecution at the hands of the Biden administration. Trump's former vice president and human doormat, Mike Pence, slammed his boss yesterday, saying today's indictment serves as an important reminder. Anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. On January 6th, former President Trump demanded that I choose between him and the Constitution. I chose the Constitution and I always will. The gravity of these charges continues to reverberate across Washington as some of this nation's most respected legal minds weigh in on what has just occurred. Lawrence Tribe, a Harvard University constitutional scholar, told the Washington Post that, and I quote, The crimes indicated are an order of magnitude beyond anything that has been committed against this country by any American citizen, let alone a former president. This is essentially an indictment for an attempt to overturn the republic and its most crucial process of preserving democratic governance the process of peaceful and lawful transition of power, said Tribe, who taught Barack Obama and advises presidential campaign and administration. And that's where things stand, folks. So the question is, what's next? I am reminded once again of the ancient Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is Reed Galen, co-founder of the Lincoln Project and a veteran public affairs and political commentator with more than 20 years experience. Reed has been involved in politics, government and business at the highest levels. Galen has spent more than a decade advising Fortune 50, 100, and 1,000 companies in need of high-level counsel in the fields of strategic communications, procurement, and legislation. In addition to his private sector work, Reed has managed several high-profile ballot measure campaigns in California, in Texas, and Colorado. Before moving to the private sector, Reid also served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign and the deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 reelection campaign. Galen also worked on both the President George W. Bush's campaigns and served the Bush administration at both the United States Department of the Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. As founder of the Lincoln Project, Galen has led the group's vision and created some of its most memorable attacks against Donald Trump, against Ron DeSantis, as well as others. He is now focused on not only ridding the nation of Trump, but attempting to purge the GOP of its love affair with MAGA ideology. So we had the opportunity to speak to him in the midst of this historic indictment. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so read. Let's start today with the news of the superseding indictment in the documents case. Jack Smith now charges Trump and others with possessing the classified document that he was previously heard on audio tape discussing during a July 21, 2021 interview at his Bedminster golf course. Now, the indictment alleges that the specific documents cited by Trump in the exchange did indeed have a classified marking of top secret no foreign and involved a presentation concerning military action in a foreign country. Now, in my mind, this is an absolute smoking gun. The question is what will Trump do next? Do you see him going all the way to trial, or do you see somehow Donald settling this case with the government? Uh, Well, you would know him
1: uh, on the legal front better than I, but I would say that it's hard to see him settling uh, unless they made part of the settlement agreement uh, that he could still run for president. I think that's, that's to him, as you know, the two things he wants most are to stay out of prison and to be in power. And the only way that he can do that is is if the feds tell him, you know, um, okay, yeah, you're gonna get three months home detention or whatever, and pay a fine, and and uh, you know we'll let you go after that. But I can't imagine a situation in which, in any plea agreement, there wouldn't be, as you've seen with other, you know, even if it didn't go to trial, um, with other elected officials, which is. Part of the deal is you you never run for office or you leave the office you're in. I, I can't see him doing that. And I think that, as you know, for him, he doesn't play by the rules of other politicians, which is, you know, if this case is coming up in May of next year and we think that that date will hold, that'll be post just about post primary for the Republicans. But, you know, it'll be right in the middle of everything. And I can't imagine him denying himself or his supporters a spectacle the likes of which we still haven't seen.
0: Yeah, but look, the the problem, and you're right, I do tend to know, unfortunately, Donald Trump a little better than most, and I agree with you. This would be a very difficult one for him because it completely undermines the fact that his big lie is actually nothing but a big lie. But why this matters, and I'm referring again to Now, the document that he was Mm. waving around like if he won Powerball, right, with the winning ticket, I mean, waving it to anybody that he could to try to impress. And these people did not have clearance. The reason it matters is because Trump explicitly denied that he had any classified documents with him after right? CNN put out that explosive recording in July of 2021 at the Bedminster golf course. And prosecutors are now alleging that he did, in fact, illegally possess a presentation concerning military activity in a foreign country. This is a really... This is a big deal. And so he's being charged with now yet another count.
1: Yeah, and look, again, I think that if it were you or if it were me um, or if it were anybody else, right, um, this this would be a smoking gun and we'd probably be looking to plead out to something, right? Because we know, as you know, um, federal prosecutors don't want to go to trial unless they think they're not going to lose and they're going to do whatever it is they have to to win if you're going to take them to trial and they will punish you accordingly. Um, And so I would say that Trump's whole thing on this again and I think it's important for for your listeners to understand it again as you do that he doesn't see the world like the rest of us which is everything he says to anybody as you know and, and I, I noted this the other day you've probably been in these rooms is you know like in a deposition or in an interview he'll say whatever it is he has to say to get to the next moment right because he doesn't care anyway right he just lies he just he just lies. Um, and as you you know, it's been said that he used to have to have two attorneys in the room so that they could say, you can't say that, right? You can't say that. That's not what he meant to say. And I assume those were pretty good attorneys at the, at that time, uh, Michael. Now God knows who he's got around him. And, you know, no one's going to stop him from saying anything. And again, this is the bottom line. Neither he nor his millions, tens of millions of supporters a think he did anything wrong, or B think he should be punished for it. So he doesn't believe any of this stuff, and he probably doesn't believe that he'll, you know, actually, you know, he'll be convicted. You know, he'll he'll assume that there'll be some members of the jury who are all in for him. And if anything, if it comes back as anything less than a conviction, he's going to say, "I told you it was the deep state." Hung jury equals, you know, innocent, as you know, for him. Um, and I, and I think that this is. To your point, like he's now running up against you know he's the rock and and, and the and the federal government's the immovable object, and they're going to run into one another and it remains to be seen which one is is going to smash first I, I would assume it's Trump based on again the evidence we're hearing but as you know too, this guy has been you know he has been the definition li- a lifelong definition of fuck up move up right this guy's never really faced any sanction for any of the crap he's done over the decades
0: yeah. But it's his own words that are his worst enemy. Donald Trump in a deposition is a nightmare for not just this matter, but for all the matters that he's facing and currently will face. For example, his quote, I would say it was bravado. If you want to know the truth, it was bravado. All right. He also turned around and said, I was talking and just holding up papers and talking about them. But I had no documents. I didn't have any documents. But now the government is in possession of the document, which was, according to reports, a plan to attack Iran. I mean, this is national security secrets. How do you think he gets past having to answer the question, "Uh, Okay, Donald? You claim that it was bravado, okay? You also claim that you were just holding up papers. I think you said newspapers, but you had no documents. Can you take a look, please, at the document marked Exhibit 1? Have you ever seen that document before? Do you know what that document is? Is that the document that you were holding up? Because we have testimony from others that were in the room that claim that is the document. And that's the document that you were referring to in that specific tape. Can you care to answer that one? How does he answer something like that without getting himself into further trouble? Um, well, he may he may set the land speed record for
1: taking the Fifth Amendment <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, because there's always that right? I mean every American has the opportunity. Uh, every defendant has the opportunity to, you know, to uh, you know, not testify to incriminate themselves and I assume he will take that opportunity if he chooses to testify. Um, but you know the bravado thing to me, Michael, as you're you know, very aware of, to me is the is the national security equivalent of locker room talk, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just was, you know, I was just telling people about all these things we could have done. Remember, let's just talk about Iran for a second. Remember when they on the drone strike that killed the the general Suleimani, the Iranian general, remember, that was the least that was the third of three bad options that his national security team never thought he'd go for. Right? And he said, Oh, let's do that one. <laughs> so like, who knows you what know how he, else got he might that? have
0: been willing to do. <laughs> Reed, you know how he no. got to that? Really you want to know the answer? I would love to, yes. Eeny, meeny, miny, <laughs> mo. <laughs> right. right? That's exactly right. how he did it. He didn't even read yeah. them. That's the crazy thing. But in his own recording, as he was bragging to this journalist and trying to impress whoever the hell was there in his house over at Bedminster, this is the quote This is secret information, right? Which he claimed. That joint chief of staff's chairman Mark Milley presented him with a plan to attack Iran. And here's the quote: This was done by the military and given to, and given to me. And then he goes on to say in the recording that he could have declassified the information while president, but he no longer had that power. So, Mr. Former President, can you tell me what document? You were referring to that you could have declassified, but that you no longer had the power to do. Is this the document, the one that's marked as Exhibit 1? I'm not so sure that even pleading the fifth on that one gets him out of trouble. No,
1: but, but and, and look, you know, this is where, um, you know, just like um, so many mob cases over the years, right? He's, he's the Don, literally and figuratively. And you've got Walt Nauta. Now you've got this other guy. Right. Um, You've got all these other people in his orbit testifying. And I can assume, Michael, as someone who has had to experience and endure the federal prison system, the federal penal system, that none of these people want to do that. Right. None of these people want to do that. I
0: would I would think I would think not. I mean, you're talking about Carlos de Oliveira. and, And it's funny because they're almost making it sound as if he is the director of Mar-a-Lago. I don't believe he is. He's the property manager. I mean, you're not talking about, you know, the general manager of the property, the director. You're talking about the property manager. And then there's another guy, Tavares. I don't even know what role he plays, you know, in this. He's just another schmuck that was moving boxes around, right, at Donald's request and now was supposed to go there and to delete uh, security footage and all this I assure you, and I was asked on CNN the other, uh, you know, the other day, what I would recommend to guys like Walt Nada. What would I recommend to, to Oliveira? What I would recommend to Tavares. And I said to them, run, put on your fucking running shoes and get the hell out of there as fast as you can. Because you're right, the prison system sucks. Losing your freedom, your family's happiness, your finance, your reputation, your honor, your job. Losing everything. For what? For Donald Trump? And by the way, yeah, he might be able to, because these would be federal, if he wins, he might be able to pardon you. But he can't pardon himself for the state crimes that he's indicted for right now, which is the New York District Attorney case and soon the Fonnie Willis District uh, Attorney um, of Georgia case that will be coming up. Those are state cases, and, a non, and he cannot pardon himself from a state case, though I've raised a pretty interesting point uh, on somebody else's podcast, Andy Ostroy's, uh, I think it would be an interesting scenario if he was president of the United States. He was found guilty in a state case. And they tell him, well, now you need to report, for example, to Rikers Island. And he turns around and he says, why don't you go fuck yourself? Which is what he would do. And they, which is what he would say. And they would say, well, don't make us come get you. And he would say to them, eh, how are you going to get through Secret Service? In fact just to ensure that your guys get beaten down like the clowns that they are, because I don't buy any of this bullshit, he now has the military surround the White House, right, armed with their AR-15s or AK-47s or whatever else they have. Why don't you come get me? And now he's putting the military against the marshals i mean this is really something that not only have we never seen before in the history of this country but we've never contemplated anything like this in the history of our country
1: now listen you're absolutely right i mean as as we've seen um throughout history um and you noted this we saw we so we had a taste of this back in 2020 Remember with the infamous crossing of Pennsylvania Avenue and the National Guard firing on protesters, and the you know nameless, faceless, badgeless uh, officers, you know that are apparently or allegedly were from the you know the the prison system riot teams, right lined up everywhere he will absolutely take over the so-called power ministries, the Pentagon, the intelligence services, the FBI, the Justice Department. And you're right, he'll tell everybody, come get me. And at that point too, I think, Michael, just to, as I was just thinking about this in the Secret Service perspective. He transformed enough of them right during his term into some sort of pra- Praetorian guard that he would demand absolute loyalty from every Special Agent of the United States Secret Service and every member of the Uniform Division of the United States Secret Service to say, you work for me. You are here mm-hmm. to protect me and my interests. And anybody who can't do that, get out now. Get out now. And this is this is what happens when a guy like him returns to power, which is, you know as well as I do, Michael, he gets back in the White House like he ain't ever leaving. Right. Not not under his own power. Ever. Ever. And nope, so ever, um, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the the people around him too. like think about this just to go back to the, the 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 documents thing. Like Walt Nauta, his his assistant or his valet, whatever. Trump didn't even find him an attorney like he left Walt to find his own attorney. It took like two weeks to get him arraigned because like he didn't have counsel. So then he found some like ambulance chaser on the I-4 corridor. Like, I mean, Walt, buddy, he couldn't be there for you right? He's going to let you take the fall if he thinks he can. And, and, you know, and obviously Jack Smith and the prosecutors know that. That's why they lined him up next to Trump. They're not stupid. You know that. But the other part too about New York or Fulton County, Georgia is absolutely. I mean, look, even, I mean, I would say this because Michael, you said something that's really important. Like we're so far off the map on this stuff. Like we don't even know what to do in many cases. Trump is a federal protectee yeah. and he will be for the rest of his life by all accounts. What are you going to do? You're going to stick him in Joliet? You're going to stick him in the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary? You're going to send him to Supermax, or are you going to build him some, you know, sort of uh, what's his name? The the Colombian drug lord sort of private prison? Or are you just going to stick him in Mar-a-Lago and say?
0: Yeah, you well can't they leave? did that. They did that with Norie. Yeah, they did that with Noriega in Miami, right? Where they built him his own little facility on the Miami prison. Uh, grounds right. And he had his own cadre of people, you know, working for him. I, I look, this is so head scratching <laughs> because right. this has never been ever. Content- this is almost like a bad cartoon. Mm-hmm. This is almost like a bad version. If this was on like House of Cards. Right. We'd say there's no way. You would turn around and you would say, get the fuck out of here. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, this isn't even possible. Right. But guess what? It is possible and we're living it. So look, talk about Trump and his lack of uh, acknowledgement for law or for process or for anything other than what he wants. Sure. Here Trump goes ahead and he pushes to delete surveillance footage at Mar-a-Lago through a maintenance worker, the guy Carlos de Oliveira, who has now been charged as well. This just bolsters the special prosecutor's case that there was a broader conspiracy to destroy evidence. And we all know that that's what Donald would do. So he goes and he gets a subpoena, right, a a non-spoliation letter that you need to retain, a retention letter that you need to retain all of these documents, information, video footage. And what does he do? He looks at it and he says, oh, this isn't written on two-ply, right. meaning I can't wipe my ass with it, so fuck it. Right. And he tells these poor bastards that go ahead and I want it deleted. Right. right. So the best or the worst part, depending on your point of view, is how ham-handed the effort was to hide all of this evidence. So these clowns then make the Watergate plumbers look like covert geniuses. You, you know, so it's, they're sitting there, oh. It's funny, it's funny, I mean, you, bring it's funny you bring that
1: up. It's funny to bring that up, because remember in the movie, the, oh, the great movie, All the President's Men, when Bob Woodward is talking to Hal Holbrook, who plays, who plays the Deep Throat character, and he goes, these are not bright guys, and things got out
0: of hand, right? I mean, it's yeah. a perfect example. I mean, what do, they, what do they do? You know, these two ass clowns end up Secretly meeting in the audio room, which is about four feet by three feet, something like that, or four by four. Right. The boss wants <laughs> the footage deleted. Right. Right. And he's like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I can. First of all, something that everybody's missing here is that's not how it works. Forgetting about legally. That's not how it works as far as deleting the information. The information is on that server, therefore Mar-a-Lago, which controls all of the cameras. But all of the, the platform where it all gets uploaded to is controlled at 725 Fifth Avenue or 721 Fifth Avenue, Trump Tower, through Matt Calamari, the chief operating officer, and his son, Matty, Matt Calamari Jr., Right, on a completely different platform where everything is uploaded right, um in immediate time for them to be able to watch, they would have to delete it from the main server. So the whole thing is convoluted, it's complex, and it's completely disoriented. But I want for you, if you would, discuss with me the irony here, or the juxtaposition between how serious the charges are for Trump and how imbecilic that the co-conspirators' actions
1: are. Well, I mean, look, I think that, look, he's he's the President of the United States, former President of the United States. He's the owner of the club. You know, and this he's also the chief resident of the club. And so somebody says, go do this. And they're like, OK, I guess I can. Um, but that's, you know, but even the one guy, D'Olivera, D- D- I think, like, he couldn't figure out how to do it. Right. That's not that wasn't his area of expertise. And then you said there's two guys, you know, father and son duo in New York City. Like, th- this is not something they ever had to contemplate. And, you know, as well as I do, it's not like, you know, a 90 minute VHS tape that you run a magnet over. Right. It's it's. Who knows how many different places this thing exists? And there's backup servers and everything else. And if the FBI doesn't have a hold of that stuff already, they will soon, right? It's you know, the internet is forever. Um they'll figure it out somewhere. Um and you know, the other thing about like Dalavera is, you know, they also, as you know, they also got him on the, you know, line to the FBI charge, the one zero zero one violation. Um, which like you know, they no, cons- I, I, unfortunately, I know that all too well. Right. And so, like, you know, that's that's the one that, you know, gets so many people is, you know, you can get out of this, get out of that. But you lie to the FBI, you know. And again, does this gentleman want to go to prison for any stretch of time? He doesn't. Um, but it also speaks to the idea that Trump sur- is increasingly surrounding himself with people who are just going to say yes. And I think that goes even to a second term of Trump, which is. In the first term, you know, you can say whatever you want about the John Kellys and the Mattises of the world and whether or not they did enough or didn't. But they were willing to say as many times as they could before they ultimately left, you can't do that. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. In a second Trump term, you'll have none of that. It will be nothing but Olivera's and Nauda's and everybody else just saying, yes, Mr. President, yes, Mr. President, yes, Mr. President, which often happens, which you now have people who have no business, no morality. And no ability to be at these levels of power and authority. Who will all be there simply because they're willing to, you know, bow down? And you know, that's we've seen. Like history teaches us, right? Bad things start to happen because now, you know, it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, goon A, you, that marshal in New York, like he tried to get me, send some send some federal officers to his house and throw him in the clink, right? Um, and and mm-hmm. then you know we just see it all fall apart and and lawlessness is the is the name of the game and arbitrary, the arbitrary nature of authoritarians and tyranny and you know tyrants becomes the order of the day and we see this like Michael you had to experience it for decades but the rest of us had to experience it for forty years which is living in some sort of you know tyrannical system is waking up every morning wondering what the leader is thinking about, what he's worried about, what he's going to be mad about, and one day is he going to be mad at you, which you personally know and we collectively know too.
0: Yeah. You know, something I try to explain to people that they're missing is if you ever spent any time with Donald at Mar-a-Lago, you would understand exactly what he wants to do and is trying to do to the United States of America, which is to make that an extension of Mar-a-Lago. Right. What do I mean by that? When Donald walks into the dining area, right, for, you know, for for dinners, you're immediately required to stand up and to applaud his entrance into the room. Right. Right? As if the dictator has arrived, something you see like when Kim Jong-un comes out or when the royal family steps out onto the balcony. Now, Marilardo is filled with billionaires who could burn Donald's money and they would still be in the Forbes list. Right. But these, but these walruses, right? I mean, because that's really what they are. They're a bunch of walruses who are standing up and applauding for him, right? Like if they're at the aquarium, they are trained... To do this. That's what he wants for the rest of the country as well. Right. He wants, as he's driving down in his heated, all glass, Pope Mobile looking type of vehicle, because it's freezing outside, right. he wants everybody in their underwear and bras standing there with no shoes, no socks, no jackets, no nothing, applauding for him, smiling, screaming as he drives past you in his heated vehicle. That's the sickness of Donald Trump's mind. And he wants all of America to be like that for him because he has this deity belief in himself that is so perverse and it's so extraordinary. He wants to expand the behavior of moralardo into America. And he's getting there. One person at a time on that Republican side.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's a brilliant way of, of describing it. And and you know, I, I just interviewed a woman from the Financial Times who wrote a uh, wrote a story about uh, going to Mar-a-Lago and experiencing these women, the trumpets and all this other stuff. And she talked about how he came off the golf course and he had walk-in music, right? Like he as he as he entered the patio, like. Um, Guns N' Roses November Rain started blaring out of the speakers, right? And I said he has walk-in music, and I think this is an important point, um, Michael. I think for for you, you can expect you you can understand this. You experienced it. Is it's really easy to see his absurdist and buffoonish nature as as not dangerous because he is so goofy and he does the little dance, you know. But the truth is is that. It's all of a piece, which is he does that little dance and he acts that way in front of the people, like you said, at Mar-a-Lago or at the at the at the rallies because they give him that 100 percent almost religious, you know, idolat you know, I- idolatric if that's a word, uh, uh, you know, approval. And if he can't get it naturally, as you said, he'll get it however he wants to. And I think that's the part that we really can't forget is everybody thinks he's stupid everybody thinks he's a boob everything that's true in some respects maybe intellectually but he is a savant when it comes to this stuff he has always known exactly what and how to say to get his most fervent supporters fired up and to stay along with him which is to bring it back to these indictments every time he gets indicted again more republicans support him his poll numbers go up not down you know by labor day he'll have been indicted four times maybe five Right. And and he will he will further he will have further solidified his grip on the party. It will not loosen no matter what anybody says in Iowa or New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada. Right. He's at 55 and everybody else is 30 points behind him.
0: Yeah. I mean, that core base is just it's they're set in stone, mm-hmm. I would love to be able to ask one of them. What would Donald Trump have to do? What would he have to do in order for you to jump ship? What do you think their answer would be? Uh, there, isn't, there isn't an answer. By
1: definition, if he's done it, it's okay. If, he, if, 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 it's, if it's a word out of his mouth or an action at his hand, by definition, because he did it, it's okay. We've seen that with the evangelical I mean, movement, right? I mean, this guy is, I mean, he's the, the only God he sees, as you know, Michael is himself these people you know hold up christ higher than everything but they put up a picture of donald trump next to jesus now they know he's a bad guy they know he's a serial adulterer they know that he's you know treats women badly and doesn't believe in god and you know whatever 10 commandments there are he's broken all of them and more right but they don't care because to him he is handed down by god he is the lord that will return the country to what it should be which is a white christian nation in which everybody else is subservient, and they, the white Christian nationalists, are in charge. And that's why they'll never let it. go. Don't males.
0: Don't forget about For sure. males. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this, is, this is so anti-female. It's the southern white Christian coalition, male dominance, mm. white privilege that they are also in search of. And I'll tell you, I'm really, I'm really shocked, but you're not wrong, because with each and every indictment that comes out, It appears that he grows more popular in the polls or I shouldn't say more popular. He certainly doesn't lose anyone, but he also raises money off of it. The first thing that comes out, the second that there is in Donald's mind, oh, I received a target letter. The next thing they're doing is, hey, you know, supporter, friend, patriot, American. Once again, the corrupt Biden crime family is targeting your favorite president, the presumptive 2024 presidential nominee and the soon-to-be 47th president of the United States of America. Your support is desperately needed. Send 50, 100, 500, 1,000, 5,000 dollars. immediately. right? And we're going to send you a plastic. fucking Trump supporter card where Trump's name isn't even spelled properly. I mean, that's really, you know, that's really the problem here. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible story. And the irony here, right, that we are out there pursuing this man for crimes, and by doing so, the more popular that he becomes with his base. And, again, the more that we look to hold him accountable for his actions, the more that we are guaranteeing that he will become his party's nominee. Yeah, and, and again, this is the catch-22
1: of it. Um, but you know, let me say this too, because I think it's important for your listeners to understand, like my perspective is, is that Trump also is able to do these things because he's not, he's not just the head of a political party, he's the head of, a, of an ideological movement, right? MAGA is a movement. Um, and a cult. a cult, whatever you want to call it, but he is the head of it and it will go where he goes. And sometimes it gets ahead of him and he will run to catch up with it. And I think we will see that. But, you know, here's the other part, too, is that when he gets indicted, he has an entire massive, well-organized, well-funded ecosystem that comes to his defense, right, immediately and is happily that does it. And in that, and that also includes members of Congress like Kevin McCarthy and you know, whoever else. And so what you see is also on the flip side, simultaneously to that, and I think this is an important thing to, you talked about the Biden crime family, is now you have Kevin McCarthy in Congress talking about impeachment, right? The Biden crime family has certainly done things that are impeachable. Um, and you have even some friends of mine who are, let's say Republicans, but non-Trump Republicans, who will say things like look i don't want trump back but let's be clear joe Biden's just as corrupt as donald trump is and you have to sort of laugh and go okay let's take 15 minutes and unpack that well you know they said this and that hunter biden and everything else and so see what the the thing that trump has going for him as the leader of the movement it's not just him saying i did nothing wrong i can do whatever else i want it's this entire ecosystem around him that throws sand mm-hmm. into the gears and dust into the air to obscure everything that's really going on because confusion works and chaos works for these people, right, Michael? The, the, the reality is what they're all trying to avoid desperately, right? Reality is, reality is kryptonite for them, and that's why they must create this world in which Trump and his supporters and even those on the edges of it
0: can live but not hold him responsible. It's why his NFTs show him as a superhero, a cowboy, right, Uh, a soldier. I mean, it's it's comical. They have as you know as a deity. I mean, it's really truly amazing, you know, how distorted their sense of reality is, as opposed to others who have NFT of him as like a slovenly Captain America, right? You know, who's four hundred plus pounds. Yeah, it's amazing the dichotomy between reality and fantasy land, you know, that exists between the two sides. But I wanna ask you this because but
1: and, and just remember, Michael, that it is intentional. There is an intentional barrier there to keep his people and Republican voters writ large inside
0: that bubble. And not let them escape into reality. Yeah, but well, if they escape into the reality, they stop the funds. And you stop the funds. Exactly. Listen, he's making, he's grifting more money today from these, you know, these dimwits than he did with the entire Trump organization. I mean, that's the craziest part about it, that this is the greatest grift in the history, you know, of US politics. I've never, I don't think anybody has ever seen anything like it and in all fairness I don't think anybody ever will after him but I think the real question that we have to look at if Trump gets the nomination who do you think that he'll select as his running mate because you have to be a pretty terrible human being knowing all that you know about Trump to say, yeah, fuck it, sure, sign me up. I want to be the vice president. Knowing all the shit that's going on here, the overturning of Roe, the misogyny, the sexism, you have the anti-Semitism, the, uh, the racism, I mean, the Islamophobia. Yeah, 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 I, I, I want to be this guy's running mate. I mean, that's just something really fucked up. Because Trump is Trump. But being the guy who wants to serve with Trump, I mean, that's just a whole nother ball of shit. What's your point? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think that the first two questions that that he
1: would ask any potential VP nominee would be who won the 2020 election. And if the answer isn't Donald Trump, then they're out. Um, If I somehow were to get in trouble and be removed and you became Mm -hmm. president, do you promise to pardon me? And anybody else, I tell you to pardon. Um, the third question being, because if this person's already having this conversation, is probably a foregone conclusion. But do you promise that everything I do, you will one hundred percent support, and that if I tell you to do something, you're going to go do it? And if those people can answer those three questions, then you know, then you know, they'll move on to whatever the next round. I mean, it's not going to be some great vetting process. Clearly, um, you know, I, I my gut says he'd like to choose a woman. Um, re- remember that he doesn't care about like qualifications, right? Clearly, he didn't care with Mike Pence. Um, so, you know, is it a Christie Nome from South Dakota? Is it a Nikki Haley? Is it a Carrie Lake? Although she might run for Senate from Senate from Arizona, I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be Marjorie Taylor Greene or what's her name, uh, or Lisa. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think that, well, Yeah, I, they don't. They, yeah, yeah, they. I'm not so. I don't sure. know that they have the right look for him. Mm-hmm um you know how he feels about looking seeing people on television mm-hmm. right um so i don't know um but you know there will be his the the professionals within his orbit uh will try and bring some sanity to the process really i mean pence was good with evangelicals right mm-hmm. um, i don't know who else is good with evangelicals um that would fit that bill but again i think it will be you know personal preference more than anything Um, you know, and loyalty, you know, first, last, and always.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you, by the way. I think it would be somebody, uh, Carrie Lake is definitely on that because she has -hmm. has the look. You know, he doesn't believe that qualifications is predicated upon your commitment to America and so on. It's all about looks. He thinks Americans are as shallow as he, which is if you are good-looking, well, then therefore you're electable, right? Uh, if you project something, you know, then therefore, you know, you're electable and that's all that you need. You need to look the part, not to be able to do the job, right? right? Or want to do the job, but rather as long as you have the look to do the job. And right. he likes to call that central casting.
1: Right. And, you know, look, she, you know, to just extend on Lake for a second, Right. She used to be on television, mm-hmm. right? Uh, she's from Arizona, which he still, to this moment, does not believe he lost. He thinks Fox News cost absolutely. him absolutely Arizona, right? And so, you know, I and she clearly is, you know, auditioning for the job on on a you know almost daily, if not regular, basis. So, um, you know, we'll see. But I, I would say that it will probably, yeah, the the look, the you know, the look and the ability to be on television. Uh, And to fire up that base uh, will be, you know, at the top of those lists.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, look, the impending indictment of Trump in Georgia by the Fulton County D.A. Fonnie Willis on racketeering charges, Mm -hmm. some some are saying may prove to be the most significant of all of his pending charges. Can you do me a favor, unpack for my listeners if you agree with that and why you think that it's Georgia that could be the case that puts Trump away for the rest of his life?
1: Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, again, as you noted, it's a state level case, right? So he doesn't have the ability to pardon himself and no one else would either. Um, It is like you said um, on the, on the recording of him saying, look how, you know, these things are classified. Like there is a lengthy phone call with him and a woman named Cleta Mitchell, who is an attorney From the White House to then to current Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said, "Brad, I just need eleven thousand three hundred eighty votes, whatever the number was, right? And you know, you've got to go find these. You've got to go find these." And Cleta Mitchell was telling, you know, she was making a stronger case for why he needed to go do this. So she'll be indicted, I I assume, alongside him, right? Um, And again, because it's all on tape, and then you have the likes of Lindsey Graham, Brian Kemp. Raffensperger himself, other members of Raffensperger's uh, staff, who, if Trump didn't reach out to them personally, somebody probably within the White House orbit did. Um, again, you're going to have a situation in which a lot of people around him, you think they don't want to go to federal prison? I promise you, they don't want to go to state prison in Georgia, right? Like, probably not a great place to hang out. Um, and so, what I would say is this: is that uh, Willis has shown herself to be unafraid of this whole thing, uh, Kemp. Has said nothing about it, right? And he will let it go, right? He will let it all happen without any interference because he has shown he's probably the only major Republican office holder who stood up to Trump and survived, right? Um, and, and thrived, in fact. He won. He won by a landslide last year. Um, and Raffensperger, right, the Secretary of State, has no love loss. For this man who not only made his life and his wife's life harder uh you know made his son's widow and grandchildren made their lives harder uh right so you know and there's a lot of people in georgia who were threatened either indirectly or directly based on trump's belief that somehow georgia was stolen from him and so i i think it's yet another situation where you know is lindsey graham a sycophant of of epic proportions he is Does he want to go to jail in Georgia? Does he want to go? Does he want to be indicted in Georgia? He does not. Right. Um, The only thing he has in his life is being a United States senator. Um, And that's the other part, too. So many of these people, Michael, are so shallow. Right. I mean, they're just they're cynical. They're needy. Um, You know, if they're not in the spotlight, they don't exist. It's just it's a sad existence if it weren't so dangerous.
0: You know, the the crazy thing is that none of these people liked him before. And the what I think will ultimately reveal itself is the number of these individuals that we think are sycophantic followers, acolytes of Donald are actually providing testimony and information, uh, whether it's documentary or uh, just testimony to the various different law enforcement agencies, because I'm with you on that. You know, none of them want to see, um, the inside of a prison uh, or a jail. I, I guarantee you that. So I'm pretty sure that well, all of and, them and, are talking. I mean,
1: And Michael, think about this. I mean, it even, it's everybody around him, right? I mean, Susie Wiles, who's his mm-hmm. campaign manager, we know she's been interviewed, right? Is she going to lie to the Justice Department? Is she going to lie to the special counsel? Is she going to lie to the FBI? Susie Wiles is not going to prison, right, for Donald Trump. She's not gonna she's seen, made a lot of Reed, going to They've all seen, they've
0: all seen what happened to me somebody who was described as the most loyal right, guy to Donald right. would take a bullet for him. My lie was the number of times that I spoke to Donald about the failed Trump Tower Moscow real estate project. I stated to Congress three, three times, all right, um, right. as well as right, three times when the true answer was 10. Could you imagine? Right. That's the lie that got me Vi- violated of the thousand and one right um, as right. could you imagine could you imagine imagine what will happen when you 're talking about attempting to overthrow a free and fair election uh, imagine what is going to be about lying about top secret documentation right that he's waving around like a powerball lottery ticket i mean it's a it's wholly different mine i mean mine was Actually worked on my statement was worked on and it kills me when I see like CNN has uh, Ty Cobb he saw that he reviewed it so did Ivanka Jared Alan Garton Donald Jay Sekulow Abby Lowell the number of people that looked at that to conform it as part of the joint defense group the number of people that looked at that document is staggering and yet I ended up getting, getting held accountable for that thousand and one so just imagine what will happen to these folks. Now, I do want to jump into something in, and that you recently tweeted, and I'm going to quote it. If you believe that the GOP will magically return to normal if Trump loses the nomination, I have a bridge to sell you. 70% of self-identified Republican primary voters want Trump or DeSantis. The party is irredeemable. The poison has soaked in. If you would, Discuss with me how this will manifest itself in our politics for the next few election cycles to follow.
1: Um. Sure. I, I think it's important to understand, again, that, that Trump has sing- singularly transformed our politics, but also the party, again, as part of this larger movement. And, again, as Michael, as you, I might have said on your show before, I grew up in the Republican Party, literally, right? Other kids go to summer camp. I went to my dad's office in Capitol Hill. Uh, I worked for George W. Bush for... Arnold Schwarzenegger, for John McCain, right? Like these are these are people I liked working for, I believed in when I worked for them. And to see the party where it's gone is why I left in 2016, right? I, I didn't want to be part of what Trump was selling. Um, and so now what you see is, again, when I say 70%, that's, that's the number of people like Trump at 55, DeSantis at 15, right? So 70%. So let's say that neither Trump nor DeSantis were to be the nominee. Who is it? that can convince that 70% of primary voters that they should be the Republican nominee is it going to be somebody who believes in the rule of law and decency and free and fair education and voting rights for everybody you know all that or is it going to be somebody who you know thinks the confederate flag is a great deal and that you know you know whitewashing black history in Florida is a good thing, or preventing migrant farm workers in Texas from getting water breaks, or seeing others right as fundamentally inhuman or not as equal as you are, I, I just don't buy it. And you see these things. Again, DeSantis in Florida is a key person. Greg Abbott in, in Texas is another person. Any state that's controlled by Republicans are now controlled by MAGA. They are not re- normal Republicans anymore. They have crossed over. They don't want to cross back. Anybody Georgia has been the notable exception because, again, they were able to sort of push away from him, but the rest of them haven't and they won't. And so even if Trump loses the nomination, right, there's a very good chance that, one, he would say it was stolen from me. Right. And, you know, whoever beat him should never be president because they, you know, they're rhinos or whatever. You know, maybe that works out to Joe Biden's benefit because, you know, you know. Thirty-five percent of Republican voters stay home. Even if that happens, because I do believe that Trump would rather see Biden win than somebody who beat him win. Mm-hmm. Um, you still got all these other little Trumps running around who, again, have faced no sanction electorally, politically, or legally for their actions. And and so the only way to beat this movement, and again, it is a movement, is to beat it repeatedly, again and again and again and again in so many places and so badly that even the power brokers say. We can't do this anymore, such as they are. Um, but that's not like, think about it like this, Michael, being in a terrible car wreck, right? You've survived. You've survived the car wreck. The, the jaws of life have pulled you out of the car. You've been sent to the hospital. You're there for two or three weeks while they put you back together, right? And then you go home. Well, you're home, but you're not fixed, right? You're not healthy. You got physical therapy and everything else. And to, you know, I'm extending the metaphor too far, but the point is, even after Trump, the system is not healthy. Right, we are still we are still a long way from from you know getting the the cancer out of the system from you know getting the poison and the antidotes put enough put enough in so that we have some sort of healthy you know multicultural uh, you know uh, diverse political thought. Here's the other part too, like and not to get too nerdy on you, but like you can say whatever you want about the Democratic Party, they have an idea of what it means to govern. Right, not just to run a political campaign, but once I get to office, how am I going to do the things I have to do, whether or not that's legislate, be an executive, mm-hmm. whatever? The Republican Party's governing ethos is power, 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 and retribution against those who attempt to prevent us from gaining more power. Um, that's not that's not really a long term play, because at some point, you know, voters are going to be like, "But what are you doing for me?" Um, and and I think that the revanchist, you know, sort of angry white guy thing lasts, Um, but the truth is it only lasts for another few years. It's a long way of saying that, you know, once you excise the cancer that is Donald Trump, there's a long way to go to make sure that the metastasis is also taken care of.
0: And that's because you have these followers like the Ron DeSantis's of the world, right? Uh, The Donald Trump 2.0's that feel it necessary to go so far overboard that they now put themselves in a position to be his predecessor, right? I mean, just think about for a quick second what Ron DeSantis did in Florida with the stupidity. And it's, 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 it goes even beyond stupidity. It's, Being a fucking asshole and to say something as ludicrous as slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. I mean, I want to be very clear about something. Ron DeSantis is not a stupid man. Guy went, you know, to the top law school in the country, top college and so on. This is not a stupid man. This statement, which he made is intentional. It's designed in order to further divide the country between those that believe in equality and those that are on the side of the don't say gay bill, Right where Ron DeSantis is positioning himself to be the next Donald Trump 2.0. And that ideology, is extremely dangerous. And thank God that the Gen Z group in this country, our yeah. young generation, is so big that I mean it's 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 the largest voting block, I believe, right now in the country. And right. the vast, vast, vast majority of Gen Zers do not ascribe to this level of stupidity. Because this one just shocks you right to the core, that somebody can say, and I heard somebody else say, yeah, and the Holocaust was incredibly beneficial into making Jews successful, right? Well, that was, that was, that was Greg Gutfeld
1: on Fox News, and when I say the poison has soaked in, that's what I'm talking about, which is you have Ron DeSantis standing, standing in, a, standing in a, poem, a podium talking about how slaves developed useful skills, And then you have Greg Gutfeld on Fox saying, and, you know, it was the useful Jews that had a better time at Auschwitz. Oh, really? They did? The six million of them that died in the Holocaust and all of the other, you know, the the Romani and all the Russian soldiers and everybody else that they killed over the years and the people who were considered, you know, unfit for, for living? I mean, this is the kind of stuff, Michael, that starts to turn from the ludicrous into the dangerous really does. And I I know it sounds crazy. And I I know that sometimes, you know, I I even sound like an alarmist, but I'm not sure what else to do. And this is exactly what I'm talking about, which is nothing uh, in the Republican Party matters anymore as far as its leadership is concerned. Why had, why did they go Trumpy? Because A, they were afraid and B, they saw it as easy. I don't have to believe in anything. I just have to hate that other guy and that other gal Right. And what are they taking it out on? Every American's individual liberties. Right. And if you are, to your point earlier in the show, if you're not a white Christian male, right, you are by definition not here, but down here. And it, at that point, it, you know, you could be whatever color, you know, nationality, whatever you want to be. And so, from my perspective, you know, again, as someone who came up in a party that was individual liberty, fiscal responsibility, and moral and muscular foreign policy, all that's gone. Right. It's gone. And anybody who thinks, that anybody who can beat Donald Trump doesn't have to ascribe to those things, is is living in la la land. And the other part too is let's say for argument's sake that Donald Trump loses in 2024, right? What would that person in the in the primary, what would the person who beat him, what would be their number one thing? Getting that guy's nom, that getting that guy's endorsement. Right. Because without it, he knows or they know. All these people stay home. Let's say Trump loses in 2024 so badly that even he says, OK, you know what? I'm just going to try and keep myself out of trouble. Maybe I'll move to Riyadh or wherever the hell it is. But what would the next in the 2026 election, in the 2028 election, what would be the number one thing people would want to do to your point about Ron DeSantis? Be seen as the heir apparent to Donald mm-hmm. Trump. Why? Because there is a mass of voters there within the party that can beat any other group within the party. And that's where they'll go until they decide, you know, the, and more likely in my opinion, the people that support Trump were largely uh, either already upset with how the world was going or weren't really involved politically. And the best thing we can hope for is these zombies who dragged, he dragged out of the woods decide, I hate everybody, I'm going back to the woods, yep. right? That's probably the best we can
0: hope for. So you recently wrote that, and I quote, this is the red line for democracy. If you are willing to run for president, but not hold Donald Trump responsible for January 6th, why try it all? You're a fellow traveler, an apologist and a useful idiot for MAGA. If you would discuss with my listeners what you meant here and who you were specifically talking about.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that was in response to uh, a video of Tim, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina Uh, who, when asked point blank about whether or not Trump was responsible for January 6th, sort of hemmed and hawed about it. Um, And again, Donald Trump lost the 2020 election freely and fairly. Joe Biden won, and he won by a lot on the popular vote, and he won by enough in those target states that, you know, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, et cetera. Um, But if you want to be president of the United States, and you are unwilling to say that Trump lost in 2020 and that he if not single-handedly responsible incited incited an insurrection on the united states Capitol, a place where even tim scott talked about how he rolled his sleeves up and he had ballpoint pens in his hand because he thought maybe i'm going down if that's a story you tell and you know who was maybe going to come through that door to attack you Right. And you still think that the person motivated on the other side of that door wasn't motivated by Donald Trump in a belief that he won and it was your country and you're unwilling to say it. Then why should anybody believe that when given the reins of power, you will be better than him? Right now, you could say, well, it's Tim Scott. He's not that bad. Okay, he's probably not. He's probably not even in the same universe as far as being bad to Donald Trump. But you have to you have to find a line. There has to be a line. Trump is responsible for January 6th and he will be more he will be responsible for more violence and more unrest in the next 16 months. I hope it's not true, but I'm not counting on that. And so the idea that Tim Scott who's supposed to be the nice one, right, is unwilling to say that tells you everything you need to know, which is again, you know, Ron DeSantis is is fading, you know, Tim Scott seems to be on the rise. OK, but does anybody think that a 56-year-old single black man from South Carolina is going to be the nominee of the Republican Party? Like, I don't think so, right? Um, and, and Trump will turn on him if he thinks he's a threat, just like he's turned on everybody else. And so to me, again, with the exception of, I guess, Chris Christie, but we all know why he's doing it, right? And Asa Hutchison, who seems to be doing it for the right reasons, none of them have said that. And they won't. I mean, even, I mean, Michael, he, he tried to kill Mike Pence and his family, and Pence won't hold him responsible. For Christ's sakes, right? What does that tell you?
0: Yeah, it tells me that Mike Pence shouldn't be running for the presidency. Uh, I agree with you, Tim Scott has no shot. And that's the reason why Donald right now is not attacking Tim Scott. It's very simple. As soon as Tim Scott would start to rise like DeSantis did, nothing pissed Donald off more than when they were saying that Ron DeSantis is more popular in Florida than Donald is and that there's a possibility that DeSantis will end up becoming the nominee and not Donald. That's when he went on the attack. You know. So look. It, so read. Look. The hour goes by very quickly here on Mea Culpa, All right. You and I could talk about a thousand things, like Rudy Giuliani admitting to the false statements, right, uh, about um, the Georgia election workers and you know, uh, the vo- the effect that he's now having on why anybody would want to work at one of these, um, you know, voting, you know, uh, offices at all. Right. But I wanted, I want to jump to one last thing, uh, in the last, as the last question here, because this week you wrote about what is supposed to be the answer to our current dysfunctional political age in no labels. And you describe the so-called centrist group, a rotten onion. So if you would, because a lot of people don't realize that there is another party out here, this no labels party. If you describe for my listeners who they are and why they stink and why that they are a danger right now to the 2024 election,
1: sure so let me go back to 2017 um i actually michael spent two years before we started the lincoln project in the sort of independent third party reform space right and i believed then and i believe now that american voters deserve more than two choices in our in in our elections right whether or not that's local state federal whatever the case might be um it's a very difficult process because the republicans and democrats have set up all sorts of barriers to entry against competition it's it's a duopoly, right? We are a two-party system. We have been really since mm-hmm. almost the founding. Forever. But No Labels yep. it was this group that was started about 10 years ago by two people, Mark Penn and his wife, Nancy Jacobson. Mark Penn was a pollster for Bill Clinton during his presidency, was a pollster again and strategist again for Hillary Clinton in her 2008 race, uh, was fired from both of those things. His wife was a pre- preeminent fundraiser within the Democratic Party for 30 years. And so they started this thing um, to say, you know, we're going to we're going to support moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats in congressional races. All right. That's fine with me. Like, I have no issue with that. Last year, they decided that they wanted to go embark on this idea of a, quote unquote, insurance policy, which is if the, if it's going to be a rematch between Donald Trump and President Joe Biden, that they were going to put a third candidate on the ballot because Americans are unhappy with their choices and they believe that they can find someone who can not only beat one of them, but beat both of them, get 270 electoral votes and with a unity ticket, meaning a Republican and a Democrat serving on a ticket together, that they can somehow you know, revolutionize American politics. Well, this is all bullshit, pardon my French. Um, again, I tried to run a third party candidate, not once, but twice in 2015 and in 2019. And the guy in 2019 is a guy you might have heard of. His name is Howard Schultz. He started a coffee shop called Starbucks, mm-hmm. right? And we couldn't figure it out, right? We couldn't figure it out with a guy who is well known, started a beloved American brand and had lots of money. We couldn't figure it out. So now No Labels, which is, which is a dark money group. They do not disclose who their donors are, right? And, and Nancy Jacobson, the co-founder said, quote, sometimes democracy needs anonymity. Okay. That sounds about right. Um, they are going to push forward with this third-party effort with the likes of a uh, Joe Manchin from West Virginia or a John Huntsman, the former governor of Utah, or Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland. Um, and they claim to have they, – they give you these cockamamie electoral maps that show them winning like 287 electoral votes in states including Delaware, right, which happens to be the yeah, home okay. state of, of, of Joe Biden and Texas and Florida, like their maps don't make any sense, their math doesn't make any sense. And we at the Lincoln Project and some of our allies have also done some polling that shows in a head-to-head race, Biden beats Trump, not only nationally, but in targets in those key electoral states too. But if you add a third party candidate, Trump wins, Biden loses, the third party candidate comes in third. Why are they doing? Because they are an adjunct of the Trump campaign. I will say it and I will Mm -hmm. say it again and again and again. Mark Penn and Nancy Jacobs and his wife have been excommunicated from the Democratic Party and Democratic leadership, and they are revanchist. They want revenge against these people who they see as threw them out.
0: And they're willing to burn down. and they're willing to burn America down. And they're willing to burn America, down to, burn America to... down to do it. And so here's the
1: thing. Their motives are bad. Their math doesn't add up. Their candidates are either also-rans or never gonna be. But the point is, is that a no-label third-party candidate help select Donald Trump, period, end of story.
0: Yeah, well, look, Reed. thank you for joining me again on Mea Culpa. It is, uh, I don't even know, bewildering <laughs> to say the least, what's going on in this political landscape of ours. Uh, I thank you. I will have you back, of no, course. No, thanks for having me, Because Mike. there's, believe me when I tell you, there's a lot more to discuss. Thank you, sir. I'll see you soon, brother. Bye-bye. And now for today's mea culpa. You'd think that Tuesday's indictment of former President Donald J. Trump would have his GOP sycophants running in shame. There is no way that you can sweep this shit under the rug or claim that it's all just a witch hunt. There's just too much evidence, but they won't or they can't. I mean, House Republican conference chairwoman Elise Stefanik of New York told Fox News that special counsel Jack Smith's indictment against Trump marks yet another day in America as Joe Biden continues to weaponize his corrupt Department of Justice against his leading political opponent, Donald J. Trump. And Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn of Texas told Fox News as well that the left knows they can't beat Trump amid Biden's failures. So, they're trying to take him out with criminal charges. Biden's abusing two tiers of justice to target his greatest political opponent, Blackburn said. I mean, this narrative that Biden has weaponized the DOJ against Trump, it's not only incredibly dangerous, but it's fucking bullshit. It's just not true. I mean, never mind the fact that these folks are gaslighting their own constituents, despite overwhelming evidence. The result is that we continue to have an entire segment of this country, I mean millions of people, buying into this fucking bullshit fiction that Trump is a victim. It's a sickening display that they will be judged accordingly by history. And I have no idea if this is what these people actually believe or it's just a cynical ploy to keep in the good graces of their MAGA base. I learned a long time ago that trying to determine a politician's true motive, well, it's just a fool's errand. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If these people continue to push this line, they are just as guilty as Trump. It means they believe no crime has occurred that Trump did not lose the election, and that January 6th was justified. I, for one, cannot stomach any of it, and neither should you. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek, our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level.